Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Acts chapter uh, 9 verses 10 through 18. Just eight short verses. And the Bible says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and be baptized i don't plan on preaching long tonight but just for a few moments i'm going to be preaching on the subject the call to saul let's go before the lord in prayer dear heavenly father i thank you for this opportunity and as i speak let me speak as an oracle of god and as i minister let me minister not with the ability which i have but the ability which which you have given me that through me the son may be glorified And I pray that you would bring to remembrance the things that you have spoken to me in secret. And I never fail to give you the praise and the glory and honor. And in the Lord and in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Just for a few moments, I'm going to be preaching on the subject, the call to Saul. Our text is found in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 18. Uh, Just a little background on this story we have arrived in 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 the chapter 9 of the book of Acts. We have just gotten past the martyr of Stephen. Everybody know that everybody knows Stephen. Stephen was a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was stoned uh, in Jerusalem for preaching and convincing and, 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 and rebuking the Pharisees and the culture at that time and convincing them that Jesus was the Christ. The Bible tells us that at the stoning of Stephen, the Pharisees, the religious system of that time, brought the clothes of Stephen and laid them at a man named Saul's feet. Now, if you have never read any other part of the Bible up until this portion, you would have no idea who Saul would later become. So for the next few moments as I preach, I would like for us to forget the fact that he turned, he became Saul or he became Paul and we're just going to look at the life of Saul. So here comes Saul into the narrative of the newborn church. And he martyrs and persecutes the church. And the Bible also tells us that after Stephen's death, Saul consented to his death. He wrote the papers. He said, kill him. And he gave the authority to the congregation at that time to pick up stones and hurl them at Stephen until The breath was taken out of his body. Now with this stoning, the church was 
walking into what, what, what we would call the very first motion of persecution. The Bible says that at that time from the stoning of Stephen, that the church was dispersed all throughout the region. So the disciples were scattered all over the place. Some were in Judea, some were in Jerusalem, some were in Damascus, as we'll read later. Some were in Hebron, some were in Samaria. But the persecution that Saul led on dispersed the entire church movement. So it wasn't centralized anymore. And we get to the, the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And we see that as Saul was riding into Damascus to persecute the church, had the letters in his hand, consenting to the death of Christians, ready to bind them and walk them back to the temple courts, just like they did to Jesus, and kill them and make them martyrs for the Lord Jesus Christ in hopes to shut out what was the greatest movement that this world has ever seen. And so Saul is riding on his horse, and out of nowhere he is blinded by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has this conversation with this religious zealot who's persecuting his church. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you fighting against the, the direction that I am moving my people? And Saul immediately says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And so the Lord Jesus Christ in the vision tells him to go to Damascus and spend some days there. So Saul and, and two of his buddies that were with him that were, that were all motivated and, and their faces were red and they were all ready, pumped up on adrenaline to go capture some Christians, to go capture some people who called on the name Lord Je of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul finds himself being, meeting face to face with the very person that he's trying to squander. And so we arrive at the text that we have read tonight. Ananias, the Bible says, so is, 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 is just popped out of nowhere. And the Bible says that a certain disciple named Ananias was staying in Jerusalem. And, and it would be ignorant for us to believe that God just so happens to use absolutely everybody that's ever walked the doors of the church, that has ever confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, because not everybody is willing to be used. But how many knows that there are some certain disciples that God has marked for a purpose, that God has placed in Damascus, right where Saul is? There are certain people that God uses. He just doesn't use everybody. He doesn't just use everybody that, 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 that thinks something of themselves, that, 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 that gets saved. You know how many times I've heard people get saved and say, oh, I'm called to be a preacher, and they never even grace a pew again. But there are certain disciples that God has marked out for his purpose, that he has his eye on, that when he calls on them, they will answer. Not everybody's built for the task of reaching Saul. Not everybody is built to the task of reaching a murderer, of reaching a persecutor, of reaching somebody who has hated the church and has, and has spit venom and has killed your best friend. Not everybody is built to be used in that capacity. But God has a certain disciples. The Bible says uh, that to Ananias, the Lord said it in a vision. What did, he, what did he say to Ananias? All he called him by was his name. Ananias, that's all he said. That was God's introduction to Ananias. Ananias, 
That's all he said was his, was his first name. Just like Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Isaiah, Jacob. He, he called all of these people by their first names. Why does God call people by their first names? Why doesn't he just give them the assignment? Why doesn't he just tell them, you know, go do this, go do that? Why doesn't he just give them the general assignment and then it's up to them to do it? Because have you ever been in a roll call? I know we're all in school here. Most of you guys have, have, have been in a classroom where they, it's, it's a substitute teacher, a regular teacher on a computer or on a, on a little whatever you call it. They got their piece of paper. It's got your name on it. And when they call your name, what are you supposed to say? Here. If I say Cody, if I say Bethany, if I say Nick, what happens if you don't say here? If you don't respond to your name, the teacher will mark you as absent. If you don't respond to the thing that the sheet of paper says that you identify by, and if you don't respond to that, even if you are there, you will be marked as absent. The same thing with the Lord. If the Lord calls your name and you just don't happen to answer, he will mark you absent. He will mark you absent from the call. He will mark you absent from the assignment. If he just gave you the regular assignment, I have, I, I have two younger siblings, one of which is sitting here today. And if my mom, who's sitting back there, were to tell me and my siblings, go do the dishes, and she never said Caleb, Colton, or Chloe. If she just said, uh, if, if she just said, go do the dishes, I need the dishes done, I need the trash taken out, I need your room clean, what could I do as an older sibling? As an older sibling, I know that if my mom just said, go do the dishes, and didn't attach my name to it, Colton was doing it. Because I, Colton, was not at my level yet. I was, I'm seven years older than him. As long as I lived in that house, he never could have made me do the dishes. But because I was older, more experienced, a little bit stronger and more developed, no matter what my mom said, I could make Colton do that. That is not the case with the body of Christ. I don't know where we've got the notion that the longer you're saved, the less you have to do the dirty task of outreaching the world, of reaching the souls of this world. I don't know where we got off thinking that we can just put it on a new convert and weigh them down with the baggage of going to the nations, of going to the nursing homes of going to the to the section 8 housing and giving outreaches to them I don't know where we got off on the wrong track by thinking the longer we're saved the less we have to do this assignment is not is is is, is not bland I, I don't know where we started thinking that some assignments given to us by an almighty omnipotent omniscient all-knowing powerful God are lesser than others if God tells you to get on a boat and go down the Ohio River and find out where it lands, to go preach to whoever is on the other side, and if, and, 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 and if you do that, it is no less and it's no greater than somebody witnessing to their coworker that, 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 that they are with every single day. But we cannot think that once we get saved for six months, a year, two years, five years, that all of a sudden we don't get to get our hands dirty anymore, that we get some badge on our apron that says we don't have to work, we don't have to serve, we don't have to labor we don't have to go to the souls of this world but if it ever hits the church that there are going to be some unlikely people needing salvation we need to get up off the pew put our prestige and our recognition down and say i will go the older sibling thing doesn't work for the lord because he'll call you by name that way you can't deny that he ever said it 
If, if my mom said, go do the dishes, I could pass it off that Colton's gonna go do it because it wasn't specific enough. But by God saying Ananias, there's no more saying, okay, that was for somebody else. So for the introverted person in this room, when God calls your name, that is not somebody else's name. And I know that might go against your personality, but God bless your personality. The Bible says that Jesus commanded every disciple to go into all the world, making disciples of every nation, kindred, and tongue. That is not extroverts. That is not for the preacher. That is not for the worship leader. That is not for the outreach pastor. That is not for the small groups pastor. That is for everybody who that has ever called on the name Lord Jesus Christ. We have an obligation to reach the nation. Amen. Can I get an amen here? We have an obligation to reach the nation. God calls your name before he gives you an assignment because he wants to know if you are present. And then we get to verse 11, and God tells Ananias, go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. This is not Judas, uh, the disciple of Jesus. This is another disciple. Jesus says, I want you, Ananias, to go to a street called Straight and inquire at the house of Saul, or at the, at the house of Judas. And you will find a man named Saul of Tarsus, and you will find him praying. Have you ever heard of who, what, when, where, and why? Right, God has covered all the bases, besides when, and I'll get to that in a second. But he's covered who, what's gonna be there. God doesn't need Google Maps to know who's lost and to find that which is lost, amen? Believe it or not, God knows exactly where the person that you have been praying for is. God knows exactly where the souls of this world is. He doesn't need Apple Maps or, or, or Waze or, or Google Maps to find that which is lost, but Jesus knows exactly where they are. Jesus told Ananias, I know exactly where Saul is. He is at the street called Straight at Judas's house, and if that's not specific enough, this is his name. His name is Saul, and this is what he's going to be doing. He's going to be praying. So when you get there there is going to be no doubt that you're at the right location and there's also going to be no doubt that you're with the right person but Jesus left all the bases covered I don't care what the devil tells you you never let him convince you that God is forgotten that God is not doesn't know where your lost family members is don't doubt for a second that God doesn't know where your mom is he knows exactly where your dad is he knows exactly where your long lost family members are that need Jesus and the souls of this world God knows exactly where they are. He said, Ananias, go to a street called Straight and acquire at the house of Judas for a man named Saul. A few weeks ago, <clears throat> I, the Lord told me at the beginning of the year not to neglect the ministry of my family. And so I began to pray over every person in my family that was lost. And I have a certain family member. I'm not going to tell you of which relation. But I woke up one morning very early and I started praying for them. I don't know why the spirit of prayer came upon me. I felt it so heavy. I was saying their name. I was calling it out. I was praying for them. And I just didn't think anything of it. I just thought, you know, the Lord was leading me in prayer. So I get to um, a restaurant with me and a few friends and we're talking. All of a sudden my phone goes off. And I look at my text and it's from him and he normally doesn't text me. He, every time I invite him to church, there's just no response. So I thought that this was strange. And, and upon reading the text, he told me that he loved me, first off. He said, I love you. And that's you, normally a first sign that I know that the Lord's dealing with their heart because when the Lord deals with you, love is the first thing to come out of you. 
You'll notice that when you get saved, you just want to hug everybody. Amen. It's the greatest feeling in the world because you felt love for the first time. You felt true love for the first time. So you just want to reciprocate that out. So he tells me he loves me. And then he goes on to tell me, he said, Caleb, I don't know why, I, but I woke up this morning and I had a dream of you praying by your bed. And I saw in your prayer, or I saw in my dream you praying for me. And he said, I couldn't help but get up and drop to my knees and talk to God. I'm telling you, when you get into prayer, when you get into the Holy Ghost and pray in the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how lost they are. It doesn't matter how too far gone that the devil has tried to convince you that they are. Jesus knows that he's on a street called Straight at the house of Judas and his name is Saul of Tarsus. Don't you ever let the devil convince you that there is someone that God does not know where they are at. He knows exactly where they're at. What would have happened if I never would have obeyed that spirit of prayer, dropping his name in my spirit? Who knows what was prevented? God only knows. But what I do know is I know that that morning, because God instructed me where he was at, what he was doing, and what I could be praying for, God went to him and showed him in real time a prayer that was prayed for him. Praise God. Thank you, God. And then verse 12 says, in a, in, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. <clears throat> God told Saul, who, what, when, where, but what if Ananias never showed up? Then verse 13 through 14 tells us, then Ananias answered the Lord, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how he's killed, he killed Stephen, God. He killed my friend. I, he murdered Stephen. And you want me to go to this person? Every Christian that I've known has ran from this man. Every Christian that, 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 that has known the name of Jesus, that, that, that walk with Jesus, is nowhere to be seen because this man is riding into my town. How did I even get here? If I knew he was coming in, I would have been gone. Oh, that'll preach right there. If you would have known the sinners that would come into this place and get saved, you would have hightailed it a long time ago. But sometime, God has them infiltrate your city without you even knowing it. Because if you knew it, you would hightail out of there. Because I don't want junkies in my town. Just wait till you're older and you decide where you're going to live. And you're going to look at the area and the school. And you're going to say, oh, I don't want my kids hanging around them. And that's wisdom. Praise God. But as an adult, as a, as a born-again Christian, there is no one off limits from the gospel. There, there, there are no limits to who we can reach with the gospel. If Ananias would have knew that Saul was there, he would have hightailed it a long time ago, I believe, because his response tells us where his mind is. He said, I don't want to go to him. Lord, you know how he's, he has papers with him that say, kill the Christians. Everyone who says the name of Jesus and confesses to be a part of that man, he wants them dead. And you want me to go? That's a suicide mission. But what does God say? God doesn't even acknowledge that. He says, go. Go. He says, go. Go and pray for him. Go and lay hands on him that he may receive his sight. Why does, why does God just completely ignore 
the, the, the characterization of Saul that Ananias laid out because God does not care who they were before salvation. He, of course his eyes are on the righteous and of course his eyes are on the wicked. He knew what Saul was, but when God looked at Saul, he saw Paul in him. He saw the preacher to Nero. He saw the one who wrote two-thirds of the Bible. Thank God that when God looked at me on June 19th, 2019, he didn't see an alcoholic. He didn't see a pothead. He didn't see an addict. He didn't see a druggie, but he saw a preacher of the gospel. He saw someone who would win souls. Thank God God didn't just look at me by my present situation, but he looked at me according to what his word says. And what his word says in Jeremiah 29 11, brother Will, it says my thoughts towards you are good. My thoughts towards you are of a future and of a hope. So whenever God looks at the most degenerate sinner, I don't care. You name them. God has a future and a reality where when they say yes to the name of Jesus and they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. Oh my God. Oh, you don't know what God can do through them. He said, Ananias, I'm going to ignore everything that you just said. And I'm just going to tell you to go because your mind is so finite. You are incapable of understanding what I can do with a yes. And I know I'm preaching to some souls out there, so I'll let that sit. And I'll tell you, I know it may look like your darkest hour. I know it may look like you're nothing but a, a degradation, a moral failure, that you're in a backslidden state. I don't care what the enemy says about you, but if you say yes to Jesus, oh, the reality of freedom, oh, the reality of being used by the potter's hands, oh, what freedom, oh, what liberty it is, knowing that with every day that goes by, I can walk and know that God has something better in store for me than I would have had in store for myself had I said no. But to the Ananias out there, God doesn't want to hear your characterization of a sinner. Oh, they're gross. Oh, they're dirty. If I hang around them, it might get on me. Well, not if you're saved. Not if you're saved. If I walk into a bar room with a Bible in my hand, prayed up and fasted up, and I look at that man on the seat and I say, God has sent me to tell you that Jesus is alive, that Jesus died for you, and he loved you. There's not an alcoholic spirit that can withstand the love of Jesus Christ, the save, the salvation, the Holy Spirit that is in me. So when we say, oh, I can't go around them because that, you know, I might struggle with that. And I'm not telling you to be foolish. I'm just telling you to be prayed up. No one should be winning souls if they're not prayed up. You might say the wrong thing. Tell, tell somebody something that moves them away for, as, as far away from God. I had a lady at my work. I was listening. Just like my AirPods died. <clears throat> and I listened to my AirPods. And I have some very interesting people that I work with. Not bad, but... They're not saved, and they are about as far opposite from me as you could possibly get, but just as bold. So my AirPods die, which means I don't have an outlet. I can't listen to Billy Graham anymore at this point. I can't listen to, to Jimmy Swagger on my phone. I can't listen to Christian music. So I, here I am listening to this conversation, and they're talking about how certain states have banned drag shows, Nashville specifically. And I'm just sitting there listening, just waiting for my opportunity. And they start talking about straight white Christian men and how distasteful they are and how um, <clears throat> bad they are. This is a true story. This happened a few weeks ago. And here I am sitting. I said, they are 
talking about me. Exactly. I am a straight, white, Christian male. I check every box. I just, they don't, I mean, they know it because I walk in there with, with my devotionals, my Bible, and I will tell anybody, I don't care who hears it. I was mentioning to my coworker the other day what the gospel actually is, and I said it as loud as possible. But anyway, I'm over here in this conversation. They're talking about how bad, uh, how mean Christians are and how hateful straight white Christian men are. And I felt myself wanting to raise my hand and say, oh, you're talking about me. You're talking about me. Uh, and, and I really wanted to interject and scorch them, right? I wanted to put them in about 12 different jujitsu moves and make them tap out until they apologize. But you know what the Lord told me to do? He said, you apologize to them. I said, what? You want me to apologize to them? And the reason he told me to apologize to them is because they said that when they were younger, someone told them if they wear pants, that they're going to die and go to hell. Now, that might be funny, but in the soul winning business, that is a huge obstacle that a preacher, that an evangelist, that all of you guys are going to have to deal with is at one point in time, someone messed up a message for someone's life and for the rest of their life, they think that God is like Zeus with a lightning bolt in their hand, looking down his nose, ready to strike you dead the moment that you mess up. So I stood up and I said, you know what? I just want to let you guys know that I apologize for the person who missed the gospel. I want to apologize for every time a preacher looked down at you and told you that, that if you don't check this, this, and that, that you're never going to know Jesus. That you're, You know what they remember more of? They remember more of a preacher telling them that what they did was going to send them to hell. And they never, ever, they, they never even mentioned Jesus. If we're going to help people and throw a life jacket out to someone who's drowning, why would we push them back in the water once they get up? And so my approach to them was I said, you know what? I apologize for every time someone missed the message. But I want you to know right now, I said, you can, you can snitch on me to corporate, but I hope you don't. You can report me all you want. But before I leave work and clock out today, I want you to know that that is not the message of the gospel. The gospel is a message of hope. It is a message of, it is the greatest love story ever told. I said, Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you so that you might have life and life abundantly. And you know what they said? They said, thank you. I have never heard that before. Well, I'm too busy disqualifying them. I had no intention of preaching to them. People that hated me. People that didn't like the way I look and, and judged me. And, 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 and I know that there's some of that in the church. But I wanted to, to basically say, forget you guys. I'm going on my merry way. You're not going to listen to me anyway. Oh, but if you just listen to the heart of God. God doesn't want people. Oh, God doesn't want to push people away. Oh, if you would just listen to the heart of God. There is no one. There, we are not church talent scouts. Our job is not to look at somebody that is out in the world and judge whether or not they can preach. 
and judge whether or not they'd look good up on stage doing announcements or look good in the altar praying for people or if they'd look good on a printout laminated postcard that you send to the other lost people and say, welcome to church. Because I guarantee you, if you look on any church card in America, they don't have somebody with tattoos or earrings or, or whatever they got into before they met Jesus, but you will see the most perfect people for whatever reason. I don't know of a single church with perfect people. And I don't want to go to a church where everybody looks the same, talks the same, sounds the same. I want somebody who is sitting outside of a homeless shelter right now who's beat up and an alcoholic and has a 40 and a paper bag. I want them to sit right next to me on the front row and let them know that Jesus loves them and that there is a hope and that there is a future for them. But it takes hearing the heart of God. The problem is, is that we see through, we see through the lens of our own comparison of our own flesh we see people as they're too rude they look they they, they look terrible they don't they, they, they don't look good i i don't want to see them in church they're too bound they're too they're they're, they're too broken i don't want i i don't even want that reputation of going after them and, and you say what are you talking about well that's exactly what ananias was talking about paul said in his in, in his exhortation in the 22nd chapter of acts that ananias was a devout man and had a great testimony among the jews do you know what going around saul would do to his reputation it would absolutely squander it with his affiliation with the synagogue because he was associated with saul paul or tried to win him to the Lord, he would have been ostracized by his community, but he put his reputation on the side and put on the mind of Christ and became a bondservant to all men. Oh God, do we understand that? Do we understand the call to Saul? That we need to see people through the lens of the cross, the lens that Jesus died for them, the lens of John 3, 16, that for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter their pedigree. It doesn't matter what they've done. We are called to Saul. We are called to those, the most depraved, the most uh, messed up sinners in this world because Jesus can save them. If he couldn't save Saul, he could have never saved you, Cody. If he couldn't have saved Saul, if, if, if Jesus couldn't have saved Saul, he could have never saved you, Crystal and Alec. He could have never saved me. So why don't we reciprocate that? Why don't we go to those people? I'm guilty of it. I am guilty of it, of, of, of looking at people in the store or, 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 or just at a gas station and I see them and I'm like, well, I want nothing to do with them. But Jesus left the 99. Are we willing to do the same? Who would you go for? When God told Ananias, go, is there a particular people group that you just have kicked off the side that is on the no contact list between you and God? He said, God, don't ever tell me to go to those people. Because if, if, if I asked everybody in here, would you want to minister to, would you want to preach the gospel to who's your favorite celebrity? Do you want to preach the gospel to Tom Brady or Michael Jordan, or Joe Rogan or whatever you have in your mind? You say, absolutely I would. Well, do you want to go down to the jail and preach to the rapist or the abuser or the sex offender or the murderer or, or the most destitute, depraved sinner in the world? Are you willing to go for them? Because Jesus was. And just ask Barabbas. Just ask Barabbas. Who are you willing to go for, Jesus?
Were you willing to go for the, the people that are going to preach on the Friday night services and, and sing, to the, sing to the masses? No, I was willing to go for Barabbas. I willingly let Barabbas walk because I knew that if he just said yes, if Barabbas just said yes, I could make something out of him. Who are you willing to go for? Let that sink in. Who are you willing to go for? Is there somebody? Is there, a, is there some people that you're just not willing to witness to? Praise God. If God choose, chooses people based on talents and appearances, Jesus would have been the best, the worst prospector of talent that this world has ever seen. You're telling me that Jesus, if he's gonna assemble this world-changing ministry, would pick a, a terrible fisherman, would pick a, a, a tax collector, would pick two people with anger problems, would pick someone that would deny him and betray him for 30 pieces of silver? And you wanna, you wanna try to judge who's worthy of the church and not, who's worthy to be a part of your following and a part of your congregation and who's worthy to sit on the pew next to you when Jesus picked the worst off people to change the world? Jesus chooses the foolish things of this world to bring to nothing the wise. It didn't make sense for God to choose me. Someone who was an alcoholic at the age of 16. Someone who was so bad off that, 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 that I just wanted to run away from home. You think it made sense to, for God to use me? But God didn't seek Caleb. He didn't see me in that present moment. God saw Paul. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. The unchurched will be saved. Simple obedience changes history. If Ananias would have never got up and went, Nero would have never heard the gospel. You want to talk about the most depraved person? Caesar Nero, the, the, the emperor of Rome at the time. Paul's assignment. Though, this is going to get some of you guys. Paul, a murderer, um, um, a blasphemer of Jesus, a hater of the church. His assignment was to go to Nero, a pagan, hateful murderer. And, and I could talk about Caesar Nero and his depravities all the day long and how he would kill Christians in a, in a big old coliseum for everybody's entertainment. Paul had to go to him. Two-thirds of the Bible wouldn't be in this book if Ananias would have said no. God uses the church to connect revelation to reality. Paul had the revelation of Jesus Christ, but he didn't have the reality that in this life, I can be used of Jesus. Just a revelation. Just a revelation. If the church never shows up to Saul's door, all Saul has is zero sight and just Jesus in a world that he can't see. He's got Jesus, but he doesn't have the, 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 the agent that Jesus has chosen to change the world, which is the church. But thank God the church showed up at Saul's door. The modern day church has left the Saul behind. We've tried to pick the best people, the best looking people, who we think would be good in a church service and who we think God, who, who, who has potential. We're like talent scouts. 
Paul hated the church, but God showed Paul that the church loved Paul. Ananias called him Brother Saul. Amen. Imagine going to that. Imagine going to the worst sinner that you are afraid of and saying, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me to lay hands on you for you to receive your sight and be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Paul later wrote in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You know what that word working means? Energio. That's the Greek word, energio. It's the effectual working. It's the moving of the church. The church cannot operate. It cannot work without love. We cannot be effective without love. If there is no love in the church, faith will not work. If there is no love in the church, we won't see people saved. We won't see miracles, signs, or wonders. We won't see anything happen. We won't see breakthrough because love works through faith or faith works through love. It was as much a lesson for Ananias to open Saul's eyes as it was for Saul. Ananias needed his eyes open just as much as Paul did. The church must accept the call to the souls of this world. Ananias accepted the fact that it is not about him. Ananias is mentioned twice in the Bible. No one knows how he died, but Saul went on to change the world. And history has Ananias to thank for that. He put his pride aside. He answered the call. If no one but God and Saul know your name, will you be okay with it? Those are the only people to ever mention Ananias in the Bible. Was God and Saul. And if you only have God and who you're trying to win to the Lord, if you only have just them knowing your name and saying your name, is that good enough for you? If all you were called to do is turn one person to the Lord, we always want that to be us. We always want to be the one to preach to Nero and to go on the mission trips and to, and to write the great sermons and the great letters and, and to change the church. But what if you are called to, 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 to bring somebody in that God can do that through? In closing, I want to talk to Saul first. To the souls under the sound of my voice, degenerate, depraved, backslidden, hating the things of God. Maybe you're just church hurt. Maybe you're just upset at something. There is room at the cross for you. I, I'm, I apologize if the message has ever been messed up, if someone has ever failed to tell you what the gospel is, I am here to tell you and to settle it for once and for all. The gospel is the reality of redemption. It is the good news that I can be saved. God has not judged your future by your present. And to Ananias, the great commission is not a suggestion. Paul said in Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Will you give yourself to the souls of this world? Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym, and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.